welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. Happy Advent to you. Um, hey, if you're new at Awaken, uh, you have walked into one of my favorite series that we do every year. Uh, I think that we've been doing this from the very beginning, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we creatively, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks, and we came up with this beautiful title for, for this series. It's called the Advent Art Series. Essentially, it's this. Uh, during Advent, there are four words that traditionally are connected with this season. Hope, joy, love, and peace. And so uh, each week we look at one of those words and we asked our writers and our visual artists uh, if we could have one of each of those each week. Uh, and so we have two this morning. And the, the, really the, the ask was create and think about right around the, the theme of today. The theme is love. And so uh, that's what we'll hear this morning. So if you would, please welcome my good friends, Greg Gilbert and then Joe Davis. Thanks, Micah. Um, Adam has generously offered to be Vanna White uh, this morning. We uh, didn't have it held up, so it's actually kind of heavy. You might want to hold it like you can hold it however you want. Adam's a big outdoors kind of guy, so he's good to go. <laughs> um, much like Isa's work last week where she talked about not wanting to do something terribly cliched, um, that was what I was hoping for too. And I thought about doing a picture of me like in a heart and decided not to do that. So this describes love, and my wife's reaction is always funny. She kind of looks at it and is like, well, I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, so the idea here is just to give a little bit of background about what we're looking at. Um, some of you know my dad la died last year of ALS, which was very awful. Um, and part of that is, you know, he, as he lost function, he's able to do less and less. And so he was in a lift chair that, as my mom was caring for him, She'd have to lean over just a little bit, and after a while, you know, this kind of leaning starts to hurt your back. So we needed to elevate him just a little bit. So this frame was going to be the base for his lift chair to give a little bit of uh, lift so that she could care for him better. And uh, unfortunately, he was in a facility already before we could even use it. But I held on to it thinking, who knows what I might be able to make out of this frame-like object. Uh, so when it came to the Advent series, I had been thinking about doing a photograph, but decided to do something with this uh, to show love. And the idea of the piece is the, the tension of love and the difficulty of love. Um, the title I chose, and I apologize, it's, it's a church here, um, sounds kinky and it's not. It's um, Sohal Shal Ahava in Hebrew or prison of love. I didn't go with love prison, that seemed a little... Um, <laughs> but the idea is that there are instances in life, and I'm, I'm a hospice chaplain, so I see this all the time, where you have family, friend uh, who are, have chosen to care for someone and love them in such a way that they are not able to leave that setting. Uh, oftentimes this happens when someone's in hospice home or care at home uh, and a family member needs to stay there at all times. And it is a choice you're making to love that person, but it is a difficult choice. Uh, and in many ways you are in a prison because you can't go, you can't function in your normal life. This also happens being a parent where you have a young child and like you're somewhat locked in You've made this choice to love, but it's a difficult one. So what the wires are meant to show, and this was kind of a performance piece for myself in the garage where uh, wrapping these wires is actually quite difficult and quite painful. Um, I 
hurt my back quite a bit doing this. Uh, my hands were raw, even though I was wearing gloves, just from pulling on these wires. If you come up and look afterwards, you see all the wires are digging into the wood, and that was very much on purpose, like this tension of, of love, because as we love people, it hurts us at times when we pour into them. Um, and that's not a bad thing, it's just a difficult thing, um, and there's beauty in that. So the wires are meant to show that. It was seven bolts across the top and the seven bars meant to look like a prison window, seven being often the number of perfection or fulfillment in the biblical writings. And then on the bottom, a little more difficult to see, there are three bolts, and that's just a little shout out to Father, Son, Holy Spirit being the foundation um, of our faith. And then on the middle, this says Emmanuel, God with us, uh, in script Hebrew. And then it's Isaiah 53 written around it, um, the suffering servant psalm. Um, and so there's the Advent theme of, you know, Jesus coming down to be with us, to love us in difficult ways as well. So difficulty of love, but the beauty in love, you can kind of subtly see it. It did some polishing, so there's some lighter aspects in here. And then there's a single red wire that runs through, which is meant to symbolize that thread of beauty that runs through this difficult kind of love. And thank you, Adam, for holding us up this whole time. Yes, thank you so much, Greg. That's so beautiful. Yeah, um, well, my name is Joe Davis. I'm a spoken word poet. And uh, as I was just meditating on, on love and Advent, Advent season, I was looking out at nature, and I'm just fascinated at how, even in the season of rest, and the, we're surrounded by snow, there's still something subtle that, that's stirring underneath the snow, even in the plants. I know that I, I Googled it because I kind of geeked out about this kind of stuff. But even when plants during the winter, there's something that's slowly, gently happening beneath the surface, under the snow, um, that preparation for life to come. Um, and so I wrote a brief reflection on that in this season um, and what that means for me. And so I'm going to read that re reflection and then it connects to another poem that I want to share as well. So I'm going to share this this Advent piece, while we wait. While we wait, what if we looked at the season of Advent more as if it were the beginning of an adventure, as if it, our hearts were a winter garden and our souls begin to soften, not just in anticipation, but in holy participation. An incarnation, while we're waiting like the joyful suspense of a little baby, while on their way we are excitedly praying and painting while we wait. We hold tension between hoping for what we haven't yet seen but we know exists and working towards it with wholehearted intention, with acts of love that are slow and gentle while we wait. May we learn to listen while the seeds are hibernating, may the fruits of our labor be a foretaste of the spring, listening with an open mind, open heart, open hands. Are we the sower of the seeds or the seeds the sower plants while we wait? That's that reflection there. And, uh, you know, as I, I connect that to love, um, I recognize that, you know, love is messy. Love, love can be struggle. And there's beauty in that struggle um, while we're waiting for that love to arrive. Um, I thought for myself, while I wait for that love to arrive, I want to become that love. I want to reflect that love that God has given me. And so I wrote a piece just to describe that love um, and what that means for me in my life. 
I think that, that the love that, that God has for us, we're also called to have for others, whether that's a significant other or, or a distant other, whoever it may be that we encounter in our lives, um, uh, I think that love should overflow from, from the source to us, through us, among others. And, and so I just wanted to explore that through this piece called Love Always. And I want to invite you, whether you need to uh, receive this love this morning or whether you're called to share this love this morning, I invite you to just posture yourself accordingly um, for this piece, Love Always. I love you. I love you at your best. I love you at your worst. I love you when a dress or sweatpants and t-shirt. I love you when you gain weight. I love you when you stay in shape. I love everything about you that you love and even everything you say you hate. I love you. I love you when you wake up. I love you without makeup. I love you any time of day in any way because I mean it when I say love. I love you. I love you from start to finish, from head to toe. I love you every spot, wrinkle, and blemish, every freckle and mole. I love both your dimples and your pimples, <laughs> your mind, body, spirit, and soul. I will love you before and after the here and now, and I'm here to let you know I love you. I love the way you walk, you talk, you smile, you laugh, you sing. I could cut this poem in half and say I love you everything. Because if you ever think that you're not loved, that just isn't so. No matter what, my love for you is unconditional. I will love you forever and a day, and today is the day I will forever say I will love you just the same. When your hair turns dusty gray, I will love you just because I love you always. That's that piece right there. As we, thank you. Yeah. And I think as we, as we contemplate that love, what that love means for us, for us and with us, um, just invite us to meditate on the arrival of love. Amen. Thank you, Joe and Greg. Part of this Advent series is uh, when you invite other people who are co very competent. Um, I don't really have to do much most Sundays in Advent, and everybody's like, man, that was such a great Sunday. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, weren't they great? Weren't they wonderful? So um, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 3 and 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Advent, this is the third week of it. Welcome to it. Glad that you're here. Uh, if you didn't know, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar. So the church calendar is this, uh, this, this thing that the church has participated in for years and years and years, which kind of marks time for us as people who are following this Jesus and a part of this story. Uh, Advent... Um, has essentially the, the story of Israel in its rearview mirror, and it is born out of, in terms of time and history, these 400 years of silence. Uh, the prophets of God at the end of the Old Testament have sort of stopped speaking, and then there's this silence where everyone is waiting, wondering, hoping, longing, desiring for God to do something, say something, be something, and it's out of this silence that this cry of a baby comes into the light comes into the darkness, as it were. And so Advent begins in that way. Uh, it's a journey for us now. It's a journey that invites us to consider our own desire and our own longings, our own hopes, our own desires. Uh, it's a journey that invites us to occupy spaces of quiet and of silence. 
Um, it's a journey that invites us to come face to face with our own feelings and maybe our own fears. So Minnesotans are great at this journey, right? Really good with our feelings and in touch with them. Um, but think about these four words, hope, joy, love, and peace. I mean, these are, they're epic. They're as big as the English language will let us get at. Advent, if you take it seriously and engage it for what it is, I want to suggest is an invitation to stop numbing and to actually listen to the desires of our hearts, to actually feel what's buried under all the layers, whether it be the snow and the ice outside or the, the, the cotton and the wool that we cover our bodies with or the masks that we put on day in and day out, to actually pay attention, to think about those things, to be vulnerable and to be authentic. So maybe uh, the, uh, the best place to start with Advent is with a question, and that is, do you really want to go where Advent is asking you to go? It's not for the faint of heart. This is my point. And so today we think about love. The memorable C.S. Lewis wrote this about love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So this morning, we center our attention on this idea of love. And we all know, if you've lived any amount of life, that love's a tricky thing, right? Love is one of those things that we all want and we long for, and sorry, that was a perfect like squeak right as I said that. Right? Love is this thing that we, we, we can't live without, and yet, gosh, it's just so painful, amen? It's the thing that's hurt us the most, and yet we need it, we want it. So there's this sort of weird relationship that we have with it. So Advent is an invitation to go there to really go down beneath the layers that we've piled on to protect ourselves all the way to sort of the base notes of the universe and our experience as humans. So a couple weeks ago, Jenna talked about hope. Last week, we talked about joy, and today, a little bit on love. And I've said before, but when we've done Advent in this way of hope, love, peace, and joy, like picking these words and trying to write sermons about these ideas, they are arguably some of the hardest sermons we write, I write every year. Like, how do you talk about love in 20 minutes, you know? And yet, here I am again. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. So we're going to do it again. But um, here's how I want to uh, sort of uh, focus or, or uh, spend our time together. We're going to turn our attention to the scriptures and ask if there's one book of the Bible that talks the most about love, arguably it's 1 John. So we're going to hear from, from John and what he says and ask two questions. Really, what's the nature of love according to the scriptures? And then what's the effect of love? If we take love seriously and we, we, we invite it in, we, we attempt to live within it, in the story, instead of from the outside of it looking in on it, but we, we, we attempt to live in it, like what happens to us? What effect does it have on us? So that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you can, I want to invite you to stand, and I'm going to read a couple of um, different sections from 1 John, and then we will, uh, we'll jump in and see if we can't pull a few things out. So this is 1 John 3, starting in verse 16. He writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Skipping down to chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Skipping down to verse 16. And so we know and rely on love, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. One translation says, whoever God, uh, love takes up residence in them. This is how we love and is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Pray with me, if you will. God, this morning, as we gather for just a few moments and turn our hearts and our attention and our minds towards this idea of love and these words that have been written so long ago and yet seem to have something to say to us today. I pray that by your spirit you'd be present to us, that you would speak to us, that you would remind us, show us, challenge us, invite us towards love and what it means to be people of love who live um, because we have been loved. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So what's the nature of love? Like you could go to lots of different places or lots of different uh, sources and try to get an understanding of what does love really mean or what does it look like? And of course, as people who are gathered in a church who sort of center their life as a community around this guy, Jesus, and the Bible, it, would, um, it, it serves us well to turn our attention to what does the scripture say about love? Hollywood has things that they say about love, books write about love, but what, is the, what does scripture say? So... That's what we'll do to start. Um, what's the nature of love? And I think you could say maybe most fundamentally, as John does, God is love, which seems so trite or easy to say, but like what's being said here? Uh, the word ontology is uh, it's an idea that's essentially it's the study of being or the study of like what is. By definition, it's a branch of metaphysics concerned with the nature and relations of being. So ontology is essentially like what is. It's the study of, of, of being or what is. And so we're talking about the very essence of something. We're talking about uh, like if you break it all down, what's left. And this statement that John is making, I would argue, is an ontological statement. He's saying that at the base level, at the very core, the essence of the divine, this thing, this being that we call God, he's saying that God is love. And so what we know about love We know God is connected to. What we know about God is that God is love. Uh, I've said this before, and it's likely that I'll say it again if you stick around awake and long enough, but in the spiritual life, there may be nothing more important than how you imagine God, what you think God is like, how you see or picture God. So we all have experiences. We've been in churches and spiritual communities and families and all kinds of different people who have sort of influenced what we think about God. And so when you close your eyes and you imagine what God is like, what do you see? So maybe a question for you this morning is when you close your eyes, when you imagine God, 
Do you imagine the most lovely thing possible? Do you imagine the essence of love or do you imagine something else? To which I would just ask the question, why? Like, where does that come from? Or one of my favorite questions, who told you that? Like, if your picture of God is angry, punitive, judgmental, uh, some sort of divine being far removed from us, the opposite of love in some ways, who told you that? Like, why do you think that's true? If it's anything less than the essence, the core, the very being of love, who informed you of that? What the claim John is making is that God, at the very core, the essence, is love. Secondly, I think you could say, as John says, that love looks like Jesus. So we could say, God is love. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Micah. But then, like, what does that actually look like, right? Because different people have different understandings of what love would then look like if it's lived out. John makes it very easy for us. He says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. So God is love. Love looks like Jesus. What does Jesus look like? So here's an all-play question. This is, a, if you haven't been to Awakening, a, a chance for you to chime in. Uh, I'd love for you to actually give your thoughts and answers. If you could describe Jesus in a word, right? Love, God is love. Love looks like Jesus. What is Jesus like? What word would you use to describe Jesus based on what you've read about or experienced? What is Jesus like? Kind. kind. What else? Warm. Warm. A servant. What else? Compassion. Compassion. Patient. Patient. Surrender, what? Accepting. Accepting. What else? Gentle. Yeah. Patient. Patient. Grace. God is love. According to John, love looks like Jesus. What is Jesus like? When Jesus shows up, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four stories we have, these four accounts of this life, What is this person like when he shows up on the scene? What kinds of things happen? What do people feel? If we want to know what love is, what it looks like, sounds like, acts like, I played this game with myself in my office this week. It was great fun. And I came up with at least these three words, um, and I'll add it to what was offered. But when Jesus shows up, it's non-judgment, or it's not judgmental. By that, I mean um, that moment where we, we see the gap or the difference or the distance between myself and another person and then assign value or grade upon that distance or gap, right? We judge. Jesus speaks truth, absolutely, but it's, it's, it's not a judgmental kind of word. It's rather just saying what is. It's free of judgment. I would say that Jesus' love includes everybody. It doesn't leave anyone out. Even Jesus' enemies and the people who want him dead, his love includes all, right? Jesus is hanging on a cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's including even the people that are killing him. It's, It's inclusive in that way. I would say it's selfless. When Jesus shows up, his actions are always you first, not me first, not Jesus first. It's selfless. It's not driven by selfishness. So God is love and love looks like Jesus. And then we see John saying that we can love, you and I, we have the capacity to experience and give and receive love because God first loved us, right? Verses 17 and 18, we love because God first loved us. 
One of the things I love about weddings is it's this moment, like very, very stark and clear when two people stand and they're, they're committing themselves to each other and they have the capacity, they even have the ability to, to give love and to receive love, to promise love and fail at love and try again at love. But these moments, like, that's a gift to even be able to do that. Why? Because according to scripture, we can love because God first loved us. One of the unique qualities of the story that the Bible is offering and that this chapter of Advent is even getting at is that you and I and the world around us and everything that we call life, it was made out of and comes from love. See, this is a very, it's, it's a completely different from the stories of Jesus' time in the ancient world about the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, right? There's all these stories about how did we all get here, and many of them, if not all of them, except for the, the Bible, say that this life, you and I, all of us, we came out of chaos or anger or the gods needing somebody to do their bidding or, or selfish reasons, that this was the sort of beginnings of creation. But the Bible says a very different story, that it's not God needing us to do something or, or God, you know, uh, out of anger or chaos that all of this happens and you and I come to be, but rather it's, it's love that speaks everything into existence, that creates what is. So you and I, we can love because we've been made out of love and for love. That's what we're made for. So about the nature of love, what can we say from Scripture? God is love, love looks like Christ, and we can love because we've been loved. Which is to say something about the source, right? Anyone, any human can experience love, regardless of whether or not they believe in God, I would say. Because we're not the source, which is great comfort. Thank, thank you, right? That it's not me that love is dependent upon but rather it's something else that I participate in. It's a song that's playing that I get to hear and sing along with. But I'm not the creator. I don't make it. So that's the nature of love, but what happens when, one, one translation says, when love takes up residence? Like, what's the effect of love? If we trust that this is true, that God is love and love looks like Jesus and we get to participate in that because we've been loved first, like, just stop there for a second. Take that in. Deep breath. God is love. Love looks like Christ. We've been, we, we've been, we can love because we've been loved. Like, oh, whew. good news, friends, right? That's enough right there. What happens if we believe it? What happens when it takes up residence in our hearts and souls when we believe it to be true? What's the effect? Well, I was going to show my favorite, one of my favorite holiday films this, this morning, um, Home Alone, you know, Macaulay Culkin, back when he was less weird. Uh, I'm sorry, that was really, that was not loving. I apologize. <laughs> well done, Pastor, you jerk. I was going to show a clip of Home Alone, but then I realized we don't have a screen. Um, so we're just going to play the audio of it, and I need you to imagine that you can see Macaulay Culkin coming out of the front of the big colonial house on Summit Avenue, right, in the movie, or what looks like Summit Avenue. And so I think what happens when we, when, when we trust that love is true and that it's real and it lives inside of us, like we live inside the story instead of from the outside looking in, what happens, I would say, at least with increasing frequency and conviction, we can begin to say things like Macaulay Culkin says,
Do you guys remember that? You know what comes next, right? The, the, the big old man with the shovel and the trash can standing there, and he's like, ah, and he freaks out. So I decided that, that sort of ruins the point of my, my clip. But what happens when we believe it as true? That love, that God is love, that love looks like Christ, and we can love because Christ has first loved us. What happens when that takes up residence in us? I want to suggest, I'll speak at least personally for me, I'm not afraid anymore. Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. If, let me just speak like really personally. In the last 15 to 20 years of my life, I have been on quite a journey, probably 15 years specific. It, it, it's connected to my, my, my entrance to seminary. And there are things that I affirmed as true 15 years ago that I don't believe as true anymore. Like, I have grown so much in my faith to where I've left things behind, where ways in which I thought were true and things that I thought were true about God or myself or the world or you all, I've now come to realize now that I've seen more of God and been ex exposed to more of the divine and been opened up, my eyes have been opened up in some ways, that I've left some of those things behind. And that may be a dangerous thing to say, or some of you might be thinking, oh my gosh, Micah, that's a little bit of a slippery slope, don't you think? Friends, if we're finite beings and God is infinite, should the learning ever stop? I don't care if you're 100. I don't care if you're 60 or if you're 40. If you trust, if you believe that this thing that we call God is true and out there and infinite, and I'm not, I'm finite, my understanding of this being should be limitless, which means I should always be growing always be opened, always be learning new things about God and what God is like and what the world is like and what I'm like and what you're like. Truth be told, I used to be really afraid of getting it wrong, which made me a really anxious person and pastor because I thought if I got it wrong that God would somehow be disappointed in me and God forbid if you got it wrong because I'm your pastor. Like some belief that you had that you affirmed is true. If we get it wrong, we're in big trouble, people. And I was a really anxious person. I thought I was afraid I was gonna turn out like my dad, which made me a really angry person. I, I was afraid of people who were different than me because somebody who's different than me doesn't believe the same things I believe, and if I'm right and they're wrong, if I let them too close, they might change me or my beliefs might change, right? Heaven forbid. I used to be afraid that if I didn't have it all correct in my mental furniture arrangement that God would somehow be disappointed in me. But friends, guess what? I'm not afraid anymore. Like, I'm more free and filled with more joy than I ever have been in my life of faith. And isn't that what happens when you believe that love is true and that the source is benevolent and always giving and there's always more and like that's the ground of our being? That we can stand and say, I'm not afraid anymore and I don't think you should be afraid anymore. So people of faith, if you... Follow this Jesus? Like, can we stop being afraid? Afraid that we're gonna get it wrong if we're, follow, if we're falling forward with love. Like, I think that God's gonna be okay with that move. Like, if you're trying your best and you're trying to make mistakes in love, you're gonna be okay. I'm not afraid anymore. And I don't know about you, but that just gives me such great joy and such great hope that like, I don't have to control it and I don't have to get it all right and neither do you. I'm not afraid anymore. Does anybody need that today? Like more, more freedom, less fear? 
And I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what you think or it's a free-for-all. Of course that's not what I'm saying. Don't put words in anyone's mouth. What I'm saying is, friends, if God is love and love looks like Christ and we can give love and experience love because we've been loved first, the effect that that would have on me, I'm not afraid. And we don't have to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans. I think that's at least one of the effects of, uh, of love on us, and I think the other would be that love opens us up. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter three, John says, essentially, we cannot say to our brother or our sister, be warm and well-fed if they have need. Like, love engages us. You can't say, I love you, and walk away when someone has need. Like, that's not loving. That's not what people who follow Jesus do. Love opens us up. It makes us bigger. It expands us. It's exponential. It has effect on us. Like, have you ever been in that room or that meeting that, at, at work where somebody speaks and literally you watch people close up? You know that person? Maybe they're your boss. Sorry. But that moment when somebody speaks words and literally you can watch people just shrink back into themselves and they, they grab whatever armor or thing that they've used to protect themselves. Sometimes it's humor or self-deprecation or like precision with words to just cut people up. Love does the opposite of that. Love makes the flower bloom. Love makes the, the bread rise. Love has this expansive, generative movement and effect on us. It adds, it creates, it generates, it overflows. When love becomes the engine of our souls and our hearts, it opens us up. It shouldn't close us down. We should not be meaner people because we follow Jesus. Amen, church? We should be the most kind, the most compassionate, the most generous, the most caring, the most inclusive. Why? Because love has opened us up because we've experienced love, because we've trusted it as true and it's the ground of our being and it informs our actions in the world, that should open us up. The table should get bigger. So the nature of love, according to the scriptures in the Advent story, this wild claim that God, the divine, is love and that we know what that love is because Christ has come. Advent. We can experience it, give it, receive it because we've first been loved. And then when it does, when it, when it takes up residency in our souls and in our hearts and in our lives, it drives out fear. We become free, free for love and free in love. So the question I have for you this morning is, can you give your life to love? Like maybe you're here this morning and you're not convinced about the church or spirituality or even this Jesus story. But this idea of love, like could you give yourself to that? Could you commit your life to that? Which is you first before me. Could you give yourself to love? Could you allow love to take residence in your soul, in your heart, in your life, in your politics, in your bank accounts? Could you give yourself to love? which is really the same question that the Bible is asking because it's claiming that God is love. So I don't know where you've come from this morning or what kind of commitment you have to faith or Christ or the church or spiritual things, but as we 
move towards Christmas, this day that we celebrate this ubiquitous idea in our culture, it's inviting you to think about a certain kind of idea or thing. And this morning, we explore this idea of love. Could you give yourself to that? To loving your neighbor as yourself? The invitation of Advent. Pray with me this morning. God, as we take a few moments to be still and to quiet our hearts and rest our minds, would you find us where we are? And God, if it's true that you are real and that you are, in fact, the source of love and that it's from that we were created and life was animated I pray that even now, in the next moment of silence, that you would remind us what's true about you, what you really look like, sound like, act like, feel like, and that it would be nothing short of love, of embrace, of warmth, of kindness. And just let that work on us this morning, I pray. Do whatever it needs to do in our hearts and in our souls. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.